we have to contribute uh, important things that will help us take the gospel to more people. Um, and we just want to remove these hindrances that we see from people receiving Christ. And it's people really from any, uh, from any race and from any ethnicity. Um, they all have, a, they all have hindrances partly related to the, our lack of oneness. Welcome to Listener, a crew podcast. I'm Samantha Holland. Today's guest is Michelle Blanco. Michelle is paid crew staff working at headquarters in the finance department as a support and solutions team leader. Enjoy the show. At Crew 19, it was so exciting to see you on stage singing in Spanish. I was like, is that Michelle Blanco? Because <laughs> I didn't know your hidden talent of singing. Right. Um, and then someone, it might have been my husband, said, I think that's like her church uh, band. Is that true? Was that a band from your church? Can you tell us more about that? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and there's a, actually a story with that. So most people in the band were from the church I go to. Um, Which is what church? Uh, Discovery Church in Orlando. Okay. Um, so, and it's actually Steve Sellers Church as well. Oh, cool. Um, so, which just happened, it, that's kind of more of a co- coincidence. Um, but so Jermaine kind of asked me for some suggestions because he knows my music background. Um, it was my major. Jermaine Chapman. Uh, Jermaine Chapman. Just in case correct. listeners don't know who we're talking about, Steve Sellers right, right. is the U.S. president, mm-hmm. uh, the president of the director. Uh, <laughs> I'm <laughs> trying to remember exactly what he is, president. but he basically heads up crew in the U.S. Yes. And mm-hmm. then Jermaine Chapman is on the campus executive team in some capacity. Yes. Okay. I believe so. Yeah. We'll make our best guesses. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so he knows my music background and he's like, do you know anybody? So I suggested two people. One of those with, uh, was Daniel Mitchell. Um, so who he ended up going with and because a couple of other staff members who are also on the program team go to that church. They also just kind of, you know, affirm that. And so, and so I was asked to make an introduction uh, to Daniel, um, so who was the, the main worship leader on stage from Monday through Thursday. And so um, the heart being, you know, having a group that was at least, you know, familiar with crew um, during that time where it's kind of a more intimate um, conversation that we're having as a staff conference. Um, so, yeah, that's how I got involved. The, the reason he knew about my background is because um, from the time I used to be on staff uh, as a RMO, Religious Missionary Order staff, with Destino um, up until 2006. And then uh, due to MPD issues, I had to leave staff. Um, and then I, so then I actually pursued what my major was, which was music uh, and voice. And I actually got a job in musical theater here in Orlando uh, for several years. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. And so between my times on staff, I was performing. So that was a blessing uh, for sure to be able to sing and dance and act um, and get paid for it. So that was amazing. And so, but that kind of burned out for, <laughs> for its own reasons. And so then I had to look for a job and I found a job here at the finance department at Crew. So are you um, hourly staff or what's the, what category are you in? I'm, 
I'm salaried staff, um, but I am paid staff. So then amongst paid staff, you know, people that don't raise their support, there's hourly and salaried. So I'm salaried staff. I'm the team leader um, that mainly leads the team that deals with a lot of ministry card um, and other finance issues. So I'm kind of, um, our team is the first level customer service for our staff members for ministry card, not staff card, um, <laughs> ministry card, risk management, um, accounting, things like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You've been so helpful on a workplace, just, uh, posting really practical things, th- mm-hmm. um, that help us so much with our ministry cards. Thank you. Great. I would hope so. <laughs> it seems like whatever helps you helps us, you know, so <laughs> yes, it works both ways so for sure. Uh-huh. It seems like you like workplace as a platform. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you a like lot about of people, it? Um, I like that there is, it seems f- it meets a really felt need for our staff um, to be connected to each other. Um, there's lots of different reasons, you know, whether we're connected with different ministries and we have no idea what's going on in each other's ministries. There's kind of that aspect of it. Um, there's kind of one place where people can get communication where they're already kind of talking to each other about certain things for with ministry card for example you have people kind of talking to each other telling each other policy and you have no idea if they're actually telling each other the right things <laughs> so you get to see it live yes. and say hey good try um, it's a conversation. Or that person. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so um, I think a lot of people appreciated that about it. And initially, um, I think it was Matt Michelotto's actually that one of the first people that, you know, kind of started um, championing workplace um, because he, you know, expressed a frustration. I think it was, I think, on the on the platform. And I answered him. You know, and so he's like, oh, wow. Like, (laughs) so all of a sudden you see humans interacting with other humans, you know, that normally that may only interact on email, which kind of limits that human contact aspect. Um, So um, so it becomes a much more personal thing when you have somebody and, you know, an actual person, not necessarily an inbox interacting with uh, with people for things that they find difficult um, so, so I think it's been very helpful for our staff, you know, not to mention all the other ways, whether it's cultural competency as well. Um, so because I have that in my, in my history as well. Because you have cultural competency in your history? Is that what you meant? Destino. 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 Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you, so I, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And since I came back on staff, I've been it's been really nice to not necessarily have this separation whereas I'm paid staff and I can only do certain things. Um, because of my ministry experience, I'm still invited to participate in, in ministry-related things mm-hmm. um, related to our staff and learning. Um, yeah, was so, you know, the Lenses Institute being, being one of those ways that I still stay involved. Oh, so do you mean, do you help run lenses or you've just been through it or tell us more about that? Um, Yeah, I am a host uh, for lenses in Orlando. So I'm surprised you don't know that because your husband was in. (laughs) Was he in your group? Were you his host? I was not his host. I was, uh, I was a facilitator in Atlanta. So, and he was in my car, like I was his driver. Oh, okay. He probably did tell me that. I was in his car group. (laughs) 
<laughs> he probably did. It's on me. It's my bad. Yeah. He goes so many so places. I'm a lenses facilitator and a, and a lenses host. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. how many rounds of lenses have you been involved with there in Orlando? Uh, this year will be my third. Cool. Michelle, let's circle back to Crew 19. Mm-hmm. Um, it was such a beautiful thing for you to be up there singing in Spanish and bringing mm-hmm. that into that space where we just don't get to experience that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about what that was like. Do you get to sing in Spanish at your church a lot? Um, not that much, actually. I <laughs> normally also like, hey, when are we going to sing in Spanish? It seems like everybody's so busy. They don't have time to, you know, yeah. I should just offer to translate things for them and send them the lyrics so they don't have to anything to, you know, they don't have much to do. But we don't sing in Spanish as much as I'd like. They have expressed that they want to add more. But mm-hmm. sometimes actually getting it to happen and how much of the song is Spanish is also another decision that has to be made, you know, on top of singing songs in Spanish. So, yeah. Yeah. Did always the, the balance of not losing the majority of your audience or half of your audience. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody's Hispanic. There's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty diverse church. Um, so, but you have a lot of other ethnicities that also don't speak Spanish. Um, so, yeah. But for sure, Orlando is probably the highest growing um, place for the Puerto Rican population. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure. Did you grow up speaking Spanish? Mm-hmm. Tell us more of your story. I did. Sure. Um, I uh, was born in Puerto Rico, um, so I grew up, um, my first language learned was Spanish. Um, So I learned English when I was about five years old, um, as soon as my family was preparing to move to Florida. Um, So I think they just wanted better environment, better job, kind of more of an open, you know, live in a suburb, that that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, we moved in 1984. Um, so I was almost six years old as in, in the first grade um, when I moved to Florida. Um, and I don't remember actually learning, like the process of learning English is fuzzy for me. I just know that I learned it. Like there was a time in my life where I didn't know it and my memories are in Spanish. And then there's a time that my memories flip to English (laughs) is pretty much how it happened. And so, um, so English then became my dominant language. And when we first moved here, uh, the ironic part being the, the community where we move, which was predominantly white at the time is now the highest, um, uh, the place that has the highest percentage of Puerto Ricans in a suburb in the United States now. I don't know how we picked that location and we ended up there because when we first moved there, it was not, it was not that at all. So I think it's just kind of ironic that it ended up that way. Um, so eventually, so I dealt with a lot of identity issues when I was in elementary school because people made fun of my hair texture or my uh, facial, certain facial features. Um, you know, in a derogatory way. And I didn't see it that way at the time. Of course, a child only sees it as there's something wrong with me. Um, So I would pray for straight hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, when I was growing up. And then it shifted, you know, when I was about fifth grade, a ton of people started moving from Puerto Rico to that area. 
So then I had predominantly English with people moving in from Puerto Rico, speaking Spanish. Then now all of a sudden I was not Spanish speaking or Puerto Rican enough. <laughs> so it was like, it was like the flipping of a switch um, there in, in like middle school, I would say. Um, all throughout that, though, I went to a Spanish-speaking church, which I'm very grateful for. Um, my parents always preferred worshiping in Spanish and listening to Spanish ser- Spanish sermons in Spanish. And so um, learned to read the Bible in Spanish um, so I could read in both Spanish and English. Um, most scriptures that people have memorized in English, I have memorized in Spanish, like Psalm 23. People will start speaking, and I'm like... I didn't grow up in an English-speaking church, so I can't, by memory, say it with you. Um, so it's those kinds of things that just um, in an environment where my accent doesn't necessarily give me away, there's just things that, that do. Um, uh, so, I mean, that's just the beginning part. I don't know how much you want, but <laughs> so... Well, how did you get um, involved with crew? Can you tell us that? Mm-hmm, sure. Um, I went to UCF. Um, go Knights. Um, and correct. Now people know what it is. <laughs> when I went to UCF, nobody knew what that was. And so crew, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ at UCF uh, back in 1996 um, was not, um, was very new. Um, uh, I had my directors, Brent uh, Jordan, his wife, Carol Jordan, uh, were there. Um and I think we were just like a group of about 12 uh, students that got together. Mm-hmm. And so um, my sister, I'm the youngest of three girls. Um, my sister, who is eight years older than me, she had been involved in InterVarsity in college at UCF as well. And so, but because I was a commuter, Campus Crusade, at noon, I think on Tuesdays, was like the only time I could go. So I got involved in Campus Crusade. But when it came time for fall retreat, she's like, this, um, this like, campus ministry changed my life, so I'm going to go ahead and pay for you to go to fall retreat. Um, so when I went, uh, the main speaker was Roger Hershey. And I think um, growing, having grown up in a more legalistic church, that um, the talk he gave on grace, he kind of covered almost everything about about crew, really the DNA of crew. Um, you know, <laughs> well, when, when builds end. <laughs> so, but in the winning part, he talked about salvation and he talked about grace and, you know, how we receive that as believers um, and what God thinks of us um, and how he loves us. And so hearing that much grace um, talked about, I think, was, was newer for me. Um, So I knew the basics of salvation, but just how God thought of me on a day-to-day basis, I think, is what changed. Um, And so, so yeah, that was just life-transforming for me, and I was just kind of signed up. I'm pretty loyal. A lot of Latin people are pretty loyal. So so I just kind of stuck with crew, you know, for for my entire— they say I became, like, the poster child um, because I went to Christmas, all the Christmas conferences— I went on summer mission to East Asia, um, and then I went on stint to Spain um, when I was done with college. So stint, short-term international trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And then, what year did you come on staff? 
2003. Yeah, it was... There was a little bit of a gap. Mm -hmm. At Daytona Beach? Mm -hmm. It was with me, right? Yep. Yep. (laughs) That's what I thought. I only know that because you said you came on staff with Mel, and I was like, no, I came on staff with Mel. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think that's when I put it together, too, and... Um, Mel was my roommate. Mel. That's what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. There was like a whole floor of girls that all shared this one big suite, but I don't remember Mm -hmm. who a lot of those girls are because I was like (laughs) down on this other floor with, with Mel and Wendy. So, but yeah, the El Carib 2003. You and I. Wendy who? Wendy Pennings. Okay. Who's now with Bridges? So yeah, I shared a suite with Jill Corbett. Yes. Uh, at the time, Jill, Jill Ritchie. Mm-hmm. And so, and we sang on the worship team together for that whole new staff orientation. Oh, awesome. Yeah, which you, I'm, yeah, you look like you don't remember that, but that's okay. I, <laughs> so, I don't have a good yeah, memory. Yeah, me and Jill <laughs> and a few others, we we would we rehearsed a little bit before new staff mm-hmm. training, and we ended up doing worship for that for the month. Yeah, very cool. So, so it's not really that much of a hidden talent. <laughs> <laughs> Only hidden from people like me who have horrible memories. <laughs> uh, um, and then, so when you first came on, were you with Destino? Um, that was confusing. So I came, I came on actually, and I got accepted immediately to do um, ICS in Spain. Um, but I really felt... Um, while I was in Spain, by the way, um, I was on staff with uh, two former Destino staff. Um, I'd never thought about getting involved with Destino before because a lot of their material and print looked like it was focused toward um, Mexican-Americans, um, like the, the west side of the population. So specifically um, Mexican-Americans, not any mm-hmm. anyone else of Latino? Correct. Um, so... Because Mexican Americans are the majority in the Latino population, um, a lot can be a lot of these symbolism colors, um, you know, can be kind of more easily tied to the Mexican American culture and traditions. Um, I did grow up with uh, Mexican Americans as well, going to my church, and so I definitely knew that there was some significant differences in our cultures, mm. um, which most people don't that don't know that or don't, you know, don't engage in the, in the population, don't see. So at the time, my 18, 19, 20-year-old self um, did not see more of the similarities mm-hmm. and saw, probably saw more of the differences, whereas now I see, I see the value in more of the, the things that we share in common. Um, but, you know, I still felt like I didn't belong. And I'm like, well, I'd rather, because I'm an introvert, I know these people the people that I'm already with. Mm -hmm. And so uh, UCS partnership was with Italy, Pisa. And um, and originally I was supposed to go there, but when I was in Frankfurt, it got canceled. I did not want to go to a Spanish-speaking country. Um, I wanted to learn something completely different. Um, I wanted to learn a different language. I didn't want people to just automatically associate with me with Spanish-speaking things or this, you know. (laughs) So... In the sense of, um, it's more 
you know, if you have a person who's white who wants to go to lots of different countries, like it feels like they have more like they can pick whatever country because they're not really tied to a particular country. Whereas for me, it was assumed that I would go to a Spanish speaking country I see. because I spoke Spanish. Um, so I'm like, no, I wanted the choice, but I think God had different plans. Um, so when I got to Frankfurt, I met uh, Toby and Sonia Oaks, who were on staff in New Mexico, Las Cruces. Um, and as far as my identity development um, in really loving and appreciating my culture um, really came from that year on stint in Spain. Like I just had to, like I met them there and they were looking, they weren't necessarily looking for somebody extra <laughs> on their team because they had a pretty full team. Um, I think the other options were like Netherlands and Germany. And I was like, it's okay. Um, <laughs> I'll stick with the warmer weather. Um, so, um, yeah, that's way, I mean, Italy is nice, but that's like way up there. Yeah. Um, so, so with that and just making the immediate connection with Toby and Sonia, um, I chose to go to Seville, um, Spain, where then I refreshed my language skills um, during that year. Um, and really saw the value of um, people who know or grew up in a third culture um, going you know to to many places, Spain, the Middle East, and and other places. So that's where I kind of felt my calling to go on staff. So it was like, do I want to go back to Spain? Do I want to serve with Destino? What do I want to do? So it was so I, I ended up changing my assignment um, with the, you know, I asked for my assignment to be changed to Destino. And so I ended up coming on staff with Destino a few months after I came on staff. Mm -hmm. So everything has its own story, but yeah. <laughs> Michelle, tell us how Crew 19 was for you. How did you experience it as a Puerto Rican American woman? Mm -hmm. What was it like? Mm. Um, I think like many, I mean, probably not super different than any other person of color, you know, African-American, Asian-American, um, in the sense that you feel more seen. Of course, with Sandra Van Opstel there, I think it was one of the first times, if not the first time, that there was a Latina on stage uh, speaking. So that was very affirming. It felt seen. At one point, she started breaking out into a song that we only sing in the Spanish-speaking churches. Um, if you play it back, you'd be like, Which what? song was what song that? Was that? Um, let's see if I can remember. Um the song is called Demos Gracias, which is uh, Demos gracias al Señor, Demos gracias, Demos gracias por su amor. And it's not a song that's translated into English. People don't know it, but I'm like, oh, like those are the moments where we feel seen, mm -hmm. where my, my mother-in-law was actually with me oh. and she, we, we both started singing it and everybody's like looking around like, who, like nobody knows the song mm -hmm. <laughs> except for the, you know, the few people in the room that grew up in a Spanish-speaking congregation. So you would say you felt seen. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm What was the yeah. highlight for you, Crew 19? Ooh. I mean, other than singing on stage, <laughs> that was pretty amazing. That, I mean, <laughs> that's cool if that was your highlight. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was getting to be part of the process that even made that happen, you know, um, and so, and then having been, um, the reason that's special is not just because I was singing on stage, it's because I felt like at one period of my life or season of my life, 
um, I had the rich blessing of being able to do that on a regular basis. And even singing in a gospel group, um, you know, releasing a CD, recording in Nashville, all that stuff. Um, and then it, it kind of fell away um, due, to, due to other circumstances. So that's a whole nother story. And so when I came back to it, you know, to Discovery Church, um, just getting connected, that worship community that's in that church is so special to me right now um, because there's such a good and uh, a community where I can feel like I can be myself. Um, I can joke the way Michelle jokes and nobody's going to get... Uh, super upset I can <laughs> how, does Mich- how does Michelle joke <laughs> Michelle's a little salty um, I, feel so. like we would, I feel like we would get each other's jokes <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope so um, so um, so yeah uh, we just have formed a tight bond and people that just really speak encouragement that are spiritual that help me revive my faith um, when it feels like uh, for us in the evangelical church sometimes um, there's just not that that same understanding um, of, of things that can make it hard to be a person of color. So within that particular worship community, I'll be very specific, I felt like I have found a community that I haven't had in years. Mm-hmm. And so then on top of that, of course, being with very, very talented people who love God, who love each other, um, and come kind of coming back to um, my roots as a singer um, and singing gospel-style music um, with, with Daniel, who I um, appreciate so much as a worship pastor. And so, um, so that was definitely, definitely a highlight um, for me. Crew 19, uh, as a conference itself, was phenomenal to me. Um, I think it put together a lot of different, um, I feel like it, from crew, seven, crew 15 to Crew 19, I feel like it matured as a conference um, in the sense that we are continuing to take feedback um, but we're still going to go deeper. Um, like, we're not going to shy away from things that are hard and difficult to talk about um, that many, you know, people of color have been saying, like, we are, we have to contribute uh, important things that will help us take the gospel to more people. Um, and we just want to remove these hindrances that we see from people receiving Christ. And it's people really from any, uh, from any race and from any ethnicity. Um, they all have, they all have hindrances partly related to our lack of oneness. That's so well said because the topic of the conference was evangelism and evangelism, as you also said, is part of our DNA. It's Mm -hmm. when people to Christ, build them up in their faith, send them to the world. But I feel like we're, because of Crew 19 or at Crew 19 and the variety of speakers that were out there talking about evangelism, we were able to look at the topic of evangelism in a much more broad way mm-hmm. and from different angles mm-hmm. that we haven't looked at it before. Yeah. And Cass Monaco, I think, was very helpful in 
uh, really unpacking that, you know, over the years, we have to adjust, you know, to, uh, we have to speak to the need that Jesus meets the need of, of the questions that people are asking. Mm. Um, so he still meets, he still answers those questions and those questions are different for mm-hmm. every generation. Yeah. So. Well, and like you said, even for different people groups, are there hindrances mm-hmm. yep. in the way that we're bringing our message or, or just in the mm-hmm. way, sort of in our body evangelism, in the way that mm-hmm. the church is presenting itself to the world mm-hmm. right now? Yep. Is that mm-hmm. furthering the gospel and making evangelism more possible or is it making it even harder for right. certain different people to hear the good news? Yep. I have another question. I think when you told me about your music major background and how you love to sing and you were singing at New Staff Training, you got to sing again at Crew 19, I wouldn't necessarily make the automatic connection that you're also really good in the world Mm -hmm. of finance, which is a very Mm -hmm. like numbers driven and very, um, not as much of an art Mm -hmm. as music. So how did that transition go from music into numbers? Right. This is really funny because, okay, so, you know, I'm in the finance department. They're right here outside the store. Um, and so I'm walking, walking past the accounting team and there's a little, there's a, like a little, <laughs> they named one of their pillars, you know, that just this is what you do when you're kind of <laughs> want escapism, I suppose. But anyway, so there, <laughs> on one of their pillars is a sign that says, without mathematics, there's no art. Everything's math. It was a quote from the person who invented accounting or whatever. They make fun of me sometimes because I hate spreadsheets um, or <laughs> anything. Or kind of, I'm very relational. Even the way I do my job is like, let's learn the staff culture and serve the culture, communicate in a way that a lot of my role is communication, communicating well, making sure that staff understand what we're trying to train them on, um, how to get communication out to you know 6,000 people um, which is why workplace again has been very helpful um, even though a certain only a certain number of people view it um, but like I had a post that had like over 2,000 views you know lately so like that's just that's you know crazy so you know if you add that to the people who only do email or who only do workplace or who only like you see the challenge sometimes we get people oh I never heard that well did you read the all staff email no well did you read (laughs) I'm like like how many different ways can I possibly can we possibly convey these messages and so so that's the frustrating part but back to your question um so I actually was I mean I was a computer science major um my first year of college Mm mm-hmm and so, because um, math was was a strong subject for me in in school and in all of school, but um, but then in computer science it became too much for me. <laughs> and so, and one of the reasons I even chose something like computer science was because, like, well, I can't get a job in music, like that's just not practical. And so, um, but then I ended up just going back to music because a lot of people had encouraged me, and the reason I even said that to myself was because people were saying you should major in music or you should major in voice. Um, and I was like, no, no, there's no jobs. And so, um, (laughs) and so I ended up, um, yeah, eventually changing my major. But again, partly at that point, especially maybe during my junior year, 
because I'm going to go on staff. So what does it really matter? <laughs> what my major is. <laughs> so I'll get a job being on staff. They'll hire me, right? And so, which they did. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's a great pre-staff major. Um, but, you know, I... Because of probably family expectations, you know, that again, I'm still, I'm still active in my culture. Um, they really wanted me to consider getting a, you know, a normal job. And so after I went on stint, and so I actually get, ended up getting a banking job um, as a teller, but then I kind of progressed on. So I was, you know, kind of still good at really service. Um, <laughs> so serving people, helping people understand things, explaining things. Um, these are all things that come into every part of my life, whether I'm explaining uh, cross-cultural competency stuff or I'm explaining, you know, how concur works. Um, you know, those kind of how financial policy works, how the IRS works. Um, so those are just kind of common themes that, that come in. Um, but eventually I did decide to go on staff. And then when I left, um, because I didn't raise enough support um, to to come on full time, I ended up raising support for about three and a half years. And so, um, and I, but they did let me report, you know, like a few months before I came, you know, to in, in the hopes that I would finish soon. Um, and I, so I worked here at Lake Hart and on the catalytic team. Um, left staff was starting to go to church discovery with a lot of people that did work at Disney um, and that kind of stuff. So I said, well, let me try to audition. And so I got pretty far in Disney auditions as well, um, but I ended up getting hired at a place called the Holy Land Experience. Hmm. Uh, yeah. What's that? So, yeah. it's um, Originally, it started as an outreach um, to Jews, believe it or not. Um, and so it was by a ministry called Zion's Hope hmm. um, by Marv Rosenthal. Um, but the twist in the story is that it got taken over by Trinity Broadcasting Network while I was um, like six months into to me being there. So about 2007, it got taken over. So then when you started looking at crew again, were you looking at a finance role or did you kind of just come look at crew again? Like, hey, what are the what's going on at headquarters? I was at a job fair. And crew was there. How funny. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I think I got this one. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, it was not, it was like the fastest, uh, the fastest process, interview process I've ever been through. Like they, I got interviewed on Wednesday. I got asked to write like a short essay to just check my writing skills on Thursday, uh, had a group interview on Friday and got offered a job Friday afternoon. Wow. <laughs> so it was meant to be. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and how long so, ago yeah, was that? That was 2011. Okay. Yeah. So as far as like, it's an easy choice. Now that I am on the hiring aspect of it, I see now because crew is such a unique place um, with our people, you know, the way people raise their funds for their salaries, you know, things like there's a whole language that you don't have to teach anybody. 
um, when they already know, like chart fields, you know, people soft, you know, all that stuff that's just like, oh, this saves us a ton of work and we need it right now. And so, yeah. Okay. Well, did you have any last thoughts before we wrap up? Just that I'm grateful for just all the opportunities that I've had um, to continue. Um, I always give a shout out to the finance department here at CREW, uh, FSG, um, because of how I think they have a vision to help integrate our paid staff with our supported staff um, in the sense that there's a, there's a vocation, I think, on, on, with anybody's role. Um, so whether or not you're, you have supporters and you raise and you have uh, ministry partners um, that you raise or, of course, there's jobs that are more difficult to, to raise support for that, but that um, they continue to send me to places um, and continue to, like, you know, they're like, no, your job is this, therefore <laughs> you can't, you know, be a Lenses host or you can't. Uh, be involved in lenses or do praise and worship or, you know, um, sit in on this meeting or that. I mean, I've done SLI, for example. Um, like, there's just so many things um, where I've been able to continue to have a voice and an impact on the ministry um, while at the same time, you know, doing my day-to-day job, which I do enjoy. Like, it's not something as they come into work like saying oh I work in the finance department like no there's fantastic people here that have been life changing for me and life giving for me Mm -hmm.